This is a Strategist, episode 1010. My name is Zane Belcher. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, what is going on? Well, it is episode 1010. We, it is a it is. palindrome episode. It's, that's not a... Uh, it's, no, okay, okay, yeah, I think it's a palindrome. Okay. It's a palindrome no, episode. That's not... Okay. Palindrome that's not, episode. <laughs> How about if we call it the CBC in Calgary episode? You know? an, like it's an anagram we, episode? You guys are on fire. You you really an anagram we didn't kib- in the heat today. Okay. Hello. Can we kibitz yeah, okay, today? Are we gonna kibitz? Because last time mean? I wanted to yeah, kibitz and, and, and we brag. Straight into things. Yeah. I got well, we had I, things to cover. Okay, what do you want to talk about? Fuck. Get it off your chest. Go ahead. I got my Tesla. Corey did not get his electric vehicle. So I'm like kicking his ass. I think this is Carter. Carter, okay. Okay, now that you're on the topic, justify your Tesla purchase. Do it. Oh, there's no justification. Uh, I mean, I okay. just feel superior. <laughs> I feel superior to everybody else. It's does you're it need anything more than that? For, you're helping to pay for the edit button on Twitter. That's it. Yeah, that's what I I am um, exactly. How many the staff cuts would be good? Are you? Uh, yeah, are you supporting? How many? How many? Uh, how many are you severance packages? How many for? severance packages are you funding with that Tesla, Guys, Carter? The, the Tesla is unrelated to the takeover of uh twitter oh wow it's so oh. nice that you can compartmentalize life like that that's uh, <laughs> it's such a white privilege of yours dude i've been that's i've great. been white for a long time i am totally good at compartmentalizing so um cory and i will judge to the you based cory and i will be judging you based on the answer to this next question stephen carter what color is your tesla it is uh matt gray to go with my max a terrible terrible choice cory what color should you have gotten should have gone white and why Definitely. is the answer white? Exactly, exactly. The answer is white. <laughs> the answer, Carter was right. I couldn't go white. Of you, I couldn't go white. For so it's many too, years. No, it's too much. Heather wouldn't let me. Corey, you have pulled the plug on an electric vehicle. Is that fair to say? Have I pulled the plug? Have you yeah. pulled the plug it, on an electric to. vehicle? I think yeah. I'm going to. Uh, I, at this point, it's been a year and a half without it. I, yeah, I and my life say, is sort of down to one vehicle. I don't think I need this, and it's been but, too long. Can I just say, like, when is it pulling the plug and when has the plug been pulled for you? You know, like, because if you haven't seen something that you purchased a year and a half ago, did you really purchase it? It's all about when I ask for the deposit back. Oh. If, uh, if I ask for the deposit back, I pulled the plug. That's oh, what okay. Yeah, that's what control you, is, Carter. How big was your deposit? Oh, it was only like $500. It was yeah, super same small. Way. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm still going to do it. I'm yeah. going to feel like I did something. Yeah. You this should is buy riveting. some strategist um, merchandise Corey, with that 500 bucks uh, Corey, to get back. Uh, let, let me tell you something. I was at the Alberta NDP okay. convention, okay? And, and, yeah, and of course you were. If there was a strategist merch table, I think we yeah. would have sold a couple of pins. And we'd have to create a couple of pins. We would have sold them Yeah, we don't actually pins. sell pins, so it was um, going to be... Get on that. I feel like we need a low-cost item that we can sell high volume. High volume. Okay? Low-cost, high volume. I, I feel like, it, I feel like right I now... I thought that was the podcast itself. That's, that, well, this is, okay, that's that's actually a good point. The podcast is its own merch. Wow. Mind-bending. <laughs> um, Carter, uh, there were many fans uh, of Stephen Carter uh, at the convention, many people approaching me, uh, going right into the to the uh, conversation and saying, listen, I don't mind Stephen, which, by the way, is a compliment. It is the highest compliment for someone like you, Carter. Is that what passes as a fan these days? Yes, it does. Yeah, they just, just don't ask who I am. They just say, I don't mind Carter. And you know what? I take it. I take it. I convert it into fandom. Carter, any response for those listening that were at the Albert NDP convention, um, uh, the three to four that approached me that said, uh, you are tolerable. Go ahead. 
I, I think he's frozen. I think this smile is, is a little too unnatural at this particular moment. Oh, he's not even there. Wow. He's not even here anymore. Okay. Yeah. Well, he just texted us saying his computer shut down. Well, you know what, Corey? <laughs> that's that's on him. That's absolutely on it's him. It's kind that's, of on that's, him. That's And I, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that people like Stephen Curry. the show like must Stephen go Curry. on, Zane. The show, the show will go, go on. on. I don't really don't give a fuck. Uh, you know what? We'll just start the show and then we'll just throw to him as soon as he comes back um, and, and mid-sentence. I think we have to do that. Corey, let's move it on to our first segment. Our first segment, job growth. That is right. If you are in the UCP caucus, Corey, there's a good chance you've got a new job. That's true. Uh, and, and if you don't, that's telling in its own right. Danielle Smith has sworn in her cabinet today. Well, the cabinet was sworn in. She didn't swear them in, so to speak. 27 member cabinet supported by 11 parliamentary secretaries, four women, only four women, I would say, in that mix. No status of women ministry, no labor ministry. A lot of scuttlebutt, a lot of conversation. Corey, let's start with you. When you see this list, there's many ways to slice it and dice it. Yeah. Let me kind of put a few of them out on the table. I, I talked about the paltry the number of, 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 of women in this cabinet, um, considering so many people had a cabinet mm -hmm. role. Um, that's one way to slice it and dice it. The other way is the mapping uh, of these ministries. In certain cases, splitting up certain ministries. Um, there's also who got certain ministries, some perhaps head scratchers or head turners um, around who is now in charge of what ministries and the political ramifications and what that says. And then, of course, we can talk about the, the volume of the ministries, uh, what they mean, uh, and the fact that there's a lot of what I'd call Kenny alumni as well. Where do you want to start? When you look at this 27 plus 11 um, yeah. cabinet, what, what kind of screams at you first with your strategist hat on? What screams at me first? Mm -hmm. um, well, I guess the size, right? Okay, uh, let's start there. But like 1A, 1A would definitely be that it there was not a lot of change. What Danielle Smith did... Uh, in effect, to change the ratios of representation and the way that she managed all of these other personalities that wanted to be in cabinet without antagonizing people who feared they were going to be left out of cabinet, is she basically put everybody in cabinet. Like everybody in the UCP at this point, maybe with one or two exceptions, is either a committee chair, a cabinet member, or a parliamentary secretary. Everybody gets a title. Everybody gets a title. And this also carried through to the senior official announcements. Um, she was rattling some sabers earlier this year, suggesting that there would be changes at the senior official level. And there really aren't. I, I mean, the expanded cabinet has actually meant more deputy ministers. So she's brought in a couple of new faces. But I, I don't think anybody lost their job, which I think is good. I was worried that she would uh, you know, do some damage to the public mm -hmm. service that would be tough to undo. But um uh, this is a situation where, um, where largely she has managed to resolve this, the quandary she was in about who's in and who's out by just making everybody in. And, and that is the thing that sticks most out to me. Carter, we had, uh, the best two minutes of the podcast while you were away. Um, it was, um, it was insightful. It was content driven. Um, it was uninterrupted. Uh, it was Corey and I is what it was. Uh, Carter, yeah. your yeah. your thoughts, uh, before I get your thoughts on cabinet, uh, your response to those at the Alberta NDP convention uh, that were talking about Stephen Carter as being mildly tolerable. Uh, your direct response to them, and then I'll get your, your thoughts on the cabinet. There's a lot of drug use in the left. <laughs> Fucking Carter. <laughs> this is why. This is why. <laughs> Carter, 
Danielle Smith's got her cabinet. Everyone gets a job. Why not? 27 plus 11. Uh, I told Corey there's many ways to slice and dice it, right? You got the volume. You got the size. You have the Kenny alumni. You can talk about who got what role. Uh, put your strategist head on. Uh, the way you process information, the way you process a cabinet is perhaps different than, than perhaps pundits or analysts or, or the media uh, process a cabinet. When you look at this as someone who's helped construct cabinets in the past, what jumps out at you? For Corey, it was the the, the number and then the 1A around uh, so many of the same people. What is it for you, Carter? Well, I think it was the big talk coming in and then walking away from that big talk. I think that has to What's be... What's the big talk? What do you mean? You know, the big talk, I'm going to, you know, we're going to have a totally different style and structure of government, but half the people who were left, you know, were left in place, you know, where they're big, big ministries too. Minister Copping is still the Minister of Health. Uh, Minister Shandro, still the Minister of Justice. Um, there there were big, and I, I, those are just two that pop off the top of my head because uh, well, I Taves, thought for I sure. Taves, I think, is a big one. Taves, Taves is huge. I mean, Taves, you know, here's this guy who ran against her with a totally different philosophy, uh, who still has the controls to the purse strings. I mean, it, it is, it's kind of unbelievable when you unpack it. So I'm looking at, at the people who stayed in the existing positions or stayed in, in the positions of control. And then I'm looking at the people who were brought back in, right? Whether yeah, it was yeah. uh, a, a Lowen who was out, a, a Dreeshen who was, uh, who was out, uh, uh, you know, under under Kenny and there was one more uh, that's escaped my memory at this point, but th- they were out out for good and now they're back into the cabinet and uh, that is something I th- I thought was kind of interesting because those people maybe didn't necessarily expect to be back in Casey oh it's Casey Madu Casey Madu was not just out of cabinet he was out of cabinet and disgraced and then he was brought back in um, to be made deputy premier in a seat that I think you'd be nuts to even begin to believe um, they're going to hold in the next election. Uh, I mean, I think I would make Corey eat his own hat um, if he was wearing one, if uh, Casey Maddow won uh, the next election in, in Calgary and Edmonton I, Whitebud. I think what we do is we get Corey's deposit from his electric vehicle and then we make him, we put that money on the table and make him eat his own hat. Why not? Patreon only. Well, I think that's... Uh, there's, yeah, Patreon there's, for sure. Hold on, Corey. I want to talk to you about this. Um, yeah, there's many ways to slice and dice it. I, let's get to Taves in a second, uh, and sure. because there's, I, I want to use Taves as a broader strategy question. Um, the Madu question opens up another one for me, which is: Can you guys explain to me and our listeners the importance of the term deputy premier? Like, how important is that in the provincial government? And we look at deputy premier Krista Freeland. We see it's a pretty important title, but she's also scaffolded with finance minister, another massive job. Explain to me the function and, by extension, the importance of this deputy premier title. She's got two of them, so that's unique in its own right. But talk to me about its importance, Corey, and how you process that with your your, your years of experience and, um, and, and, and uh, your wisdom, so to speak. Yeah. So first thing first, Madhu wasn't out of cabinet. He was minister of labor. He swapped. Wow. Um, My bad. With Shandro. So it's it's um you know it's not as as though he rocketed out of nowhere. But the deputy premier title, like the deputy prime minister title, is not dissimilar in some ways to the title of vice president of the United States. It it has mm. no real authority by itself. There's there's yeah, nothing that yeah. says, oh okay, I'm I'm deputy premier. I guess that means X. It doesn't even necessarily mean you get to chair meetings unless. 
the premier decides, right? So just right. like the vice president, the title of deputy premier is as big or as small as the as the principal wants it to be. And so it remains to be seen exactly what it means to be a deputy premier to Premier Danielle Smith, very, very early days. Uh, the deputy premier to Rachel Notley for a large chunk of the time um, was the minister of health. And she obviously had quite a bit of authority from being the minister of health, um, but uh, also in absence of, of Rachel Notley being there, got to, got to chair cabinet. You know, that's, I, you know, and perhaps there were other duties thrown her way on the party side that I just, you know, wasn't necessarily privy to. But I think that's generally the model. Obviously, we have with Trudeau a much stronger model where he leans on his deputy prime minister in foreign affairs and in uh, obviously in her portfolio of finance and, and in ways that makes that seem really much more like an overall number two. But that's mm. that's up to the principal. It's what they want it to be. Carter, when you were constructing yeah. the cabinet for, for Redford, tell me about the term deputy premier. Did you guys use it back then? I don't recall. Or was that Lukasik for you guys? Lukasik. It was Lukasik. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we used it we used it as the 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 you know, like the, the, the dog that we would set onto our opposition. You know, he was he was he was set out to defend us and to um respond back with a, in a bit more pugilistic fashion than than the premier herself would be uh able to. Um, and, and we used him quite frequently in that regard. And I mm -hmm. think that that's often what you will see these, uh, deputy premiers or deputy prime ministers being tasked with, you know, the, the strong defense or the laying out of the, of the trial balloons or things along those lines. They don't, you know, they don't have, there is no ministry. There's no deputy, uh, executive council, right? Yeah, so the, yeah, yeah. The, the minister often, you know, the deputy, uh, premier, deputy minister, um, usually has some other form within government. Uh, what what it is that they are specifically tasked with will depend, as Corey said, from government to government. Um, but ours was was a fighter. Uh, we wanted someone who would fight for us. Casey Madu, I'm not sure uh, why he's there, and, and forgive me for forgetting the uh, gentleman, the MLA from uh, uh, Lethbridge. But it, it strikes Newdorf, me that yeah. Newdorf, yeah, yeah. He, he, him him being there. Is just a another well. He was with Danielle all the way, so I suspect that both of these are are reward positions, and uh, we will see how they ultimately get used um, by the premier. Uh, it looks like it looks like she's going to be the activist premier. I'm not sure that any of these cabinet ministers are actually going to be given um, their own reins. Uh, and especially given the uh, short run up to an election, I'll tell so, you that was another thing that parallels with this. We didn't. We had the short run up, and uh, we weren't going to let any minister make the decision that could hurt us in our short run up. That that well, is Carter, quite interesting. And uh, Corey, jump in on this, and I'll follow up on that. Corey, go ahead, Corey. Yeah, Carter uh, brought up another point, I think, indirectly as to what deputy premier does, and it, it denotes a certain hierarchy, right? This mm. is like. You're almost saying it within cabinet. This is a this is a minister. I'm I'm making like kind of like a number two, and Jason Kenny didn't didn't do didn't kind do of that. a a precedence list even because it's an optional thing where you can say this is the order of the ministers, right? What he did is he had kind of his kitchen cabinet, the cabinet priorities committee, which was the I guess what he would perceive as the more senior cabinet ministers. Uh, Rachel Notley had a full precedence list, like this is the order of the of the. Um, of the ministers. And of course, when you're deputy premier, you get to be number two on that particular list. Right. Mm. Uh, but it is also a way of saying, 
all other things being equal, this is this is who's the next person in line, right? Uh, not necessarily like this is who gets to be premier after me, but for the purposes of government and protocol, this is who's next. And so uh, that is another one of those things. And in that case, you can think of it as like a pure sinecure. It's just it's just a bragging point. I mean, Tom Lukasik has been eating out on that forever, thanks to uh, you know his tenure there. Um, and because to most of the rest of the world, it sounds really quite significant, right? It, mm. it sounds like you're the clear number two. Neil Gray um, was just dropping in, like, you know, th- there is a parallel here. It's almost like the office, right? It's you know, deputy to the premier versus deputy premier. It's uh, deputy to the premier is the minister or deputy minister of exec council. You know, okay, Carter, I want to talk about strategy. There is strategy here. There is strategy that was being played. Yeah. Uh, um, let's talk about this in two chunks, at least uh, to start with. Let's talk about Danielle's strategy to something both of you mentioned. Um, giving cabinet roles and or parliamentary secretary roles to as many folks as possible, including and perhaps especially her detractors. So her strategy. And then let's focus on the strategy of this other cohort. And and let me let me um, make it a little bit smaller. The Taves, the Sonnies, the Savages, the Schultz, those who've been vocally critical of Danielle Smith, whether it be about the Sovereignty Act or other things, accepting cabinet roles. So, Carter, talk to me about her strategy. Do you like it by, by offering um, your opponents? And in this case, like pretty harsh opponents, like they were pretty clear about how they were uh, opposed, not just to her victory, but to key pieces of legislation, and how she did things. Talk to me about her strategy of offering cabinet roles to, to those folks. What do you think of it? Would you have done it? Brilliant. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we brought in. Uh, our, you know, um, Redford's opposition as close as we could get them and, and sometimes even closer than we wanted them. Um, we brought, um, this was a, a big, it's a big thing to bring your opposition in to give them real roles. Uh, I think that that's the question that still needs to be answered. I, I'm disappointed by the opposition. I thought, for example, uh, uh, Sonny was given a very clear message from the people in, in the party that, that, her vision of where the party was going is not necessarily the vision that, that they wanted. And I thought that she would, um, I don't know, be forced, but be willing to step outside of this existing, uh, you know, party. But obviously when you bring them back in, you, they, they remove themselves from, from the opposition. Now they're part of your team and man for Danielle, that's a, just a powerful move. Very impressive. Uh, the naming of the cabinet, I would say, in, since she's been sworn in, is the only thing that she's done that's impressive. Corey, talk to me about her strategy of, of, of offering cabinet roles and having them eventually accept, which I want to discuss shortly, uh, what you would have done if you were principal advisors to some of these folks that were her previous uh, leadership opponents. But her strategy to offer cabinet roles to these individuals, you know, I, I can see there being upside to Carter's point. I can also see there being downside in the sense short runway. These are not necessarily allies. You don't really have it on lock, so to speak, with your homies. These are, these are people that um, you may not necessarily be able to trust, so to speak, and they might stab you in the back the first chance they get. Your thoughts on her strategy to have her uh, leadership opponents now uh, almost exclusive, well, not exclusively, but, but almost all of them, I should say, in, in cabinet. Yeah. Um, when you're a politician, you can do a lot worse than resolving your problems by broadening the tent, which is what Danielle Smith has done. And she's invited them into the tent and she said, you have a place here. 
And Zane, what you've talked about there is like, but can we trust them? They weren't on our side before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of politicians take that to beyond its rational extreme and start excluding people who would otherwise be their allies and in doing so create their uh, problems for themselves. Now, you're not wrong. Like you can create a future problem for yourself if you go too far with any advice taken to its extreme can cause you problems, right? You make your cabinet too big. Maybe it's going to be very unwieldy and not be able to deliver. Maybe people will be frustrated because they're broken into such small parts. They're actually bored and and they have idle hands that's going to cause you problems down the road or start jockeying for different positions within the cabinet. Or frankly, when they quit, they just it's a bunch of cabinet ministers that quit, which seems more mm-hmm, dramatic mm-hmm. than a bunch of MLAs that quit. All of this is true. But, you know, the, the first rule of counterinsurgency, and in many ways, this is what this is, and it's the same rationale, is you have to decide who who is truly dead to you, uh, like uh, like uh, Nixon was, obviously, to Daniel Smith. He was removed from the yeah. cabinet uh, and had been a prominent Kennedy minister. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and who is redeemable and who can you bring on side? Because if – well, let's let's just be really clear about this. If, as a politician, all you do – is, you know, only pick the people who were always with you, your team will get smaller and smaller and smaller as someone betrays you. So there's a certain magnanimity that needs to happen, whether you are Daniel Smith building a cabinet or Rachel Notley building a Calgary coalition. You need to reach out to people who were not with you before and you have to say, you are welcome here. You You are welcome to join me in a real substantive way and not in a bullshit way. And if you're the minister, not in a bullshit way means, okay, that means you're at the cabinet table. And so Daniel Smith has done that. And and I think that she deserves a bit of credit for that. I agree with Stephen. I, you know, it's funny. I would, I also would sort of mark it as impressive. And in fact, Stephen and I had a conversation earlier today where we were both mm. saying like, yeah, she's done a pretty good job of managing internal dissent. We might be grading on a curve because last week it looked like, holy hell, is this going to be like Liz Truss, but on the prairies? And, uh, and you know, she's done a good job of avoiding that. And this is actually a pretty good, I think, illustration of something that we have all said in the past, which is she is she is not a politician without skills. And yeah. what she has done is she has sincerely brought people in and she's given them a place at the table. What happens from here? TBD. But she has actually avoided kind of the first moment of maximum potential crisis because it was not impossible that a number of these slighted MLAs, you know, who were cabinet ministers or were former leadership contenders said, fuck it, I'm out of here. I'm going to go sit on the sidelines or worse, start something new. You know, if she if she did end up end up or does end up being the Liz Truss on uh, of the prairies, um, Zane Veldry is a Rishi Sunak um, and get your leadership posters. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, the <laughs> um, they are available. They are multipurpose. They, they'll work for any party. Carter, I have to talk about strategy of these candidates. Let's say you were the principal advisor to Travis Taves. This is a guy who spoke out aggressively on camera at length about Daniel Smith's leadership, about the Sovereignty Act, about, you know, philosophically, we've we've said it the whole, they're not aligned. Yet he's the finance minister again. Would, when that offer came to him, with I'm assuming a very charming phone call or note or conversation, what would you have advised Travis Taves, Carter? I, I would have told him not to take it. I would have told him it's time to go back to the ranch. Um, this is not, you know, these people are taking things, I think, in the same fashion that the, the Donald Trump cabinet was taking Donald Trump's cabinet positions. If we're not here, um, she's going to do some real damage. You know, the same way that the 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 Trump guys all said, you know, if we're not there, 
uh, this Trump guy is going to do some real damage. But the damage is still going to be done. And the damage now is going to be done to your reputation, Travis. Travis is Taves, um, you know, he could have, he can come back. He could, you know, there's a lot of different things that could happen. But now because he's hitched his wagon to Danielle Smith, uh, anything that is going to happen in the future is going to come with an asterisk that says he was the one who moved over uh, and, and, and supported Danielle. Corey, is, are we in a different era where, where the ability to normalize something quickly and not necessarily pay a price, perhaps for Schultz, Taves, Sonny, uh, and others, is, is that, you know what, fuck it, let's, let, me just, let me just take the cabinet role. This will all normalize in a second. We'll, we'll kind of smooth things over. This is just the way things are. What would you have advised? And I, I use Taves as an example, but look, we can use Sonny, we can use Schultz. What would you have advised him, um, especially after what they said in the leadership about Daniel Smith? I, I think it is a bit different here than in the United States because, for starters, cabinet members are chosen from MLAs, and our system mm -hmm. is different, right? There's deputy ministers who are there as well, and it's not quite as simple, I think, as perhaps what Stephen is suggesting. Maybe I'm not being fair to Stephen's, Stephen's it's point It's even here. simpler. It's even simpler. If you're going to sit there... Well, let's put it this way. If you are going to turn down being a cabinet minister, an uh -huh. obvious next question is, why are you still here as an MLA? Why are you yeah. still here? So, Carter, and you so, would have actually suggested these people leave, right? Just so I'm clear on the record. I don't mean to interrupt you, Corey, but just to get Carter's full thought here. You would have suggested yeah. Tave say no and, and say, I'm, I'm fucking done with this shit. Time to go home. Corey, now that we have established that, keep going on your end. Yeah, none of them were going to do that. Whether I think <laughs> right, they should or right. not is immaterial. So it then becomes a question of what are you going to do with your time here? But because it's also that so much of the world or so much of Alberta, I guess I should say, sees it almost as degrees of the same job. Like you're an MLA. If you're a better MLA, you get to be a parliamentary secretary. If you're better still, you get to be a cabinet minister. If you're best, you get to be deputy premier, right? And and there is this perceived hierarchy of all of this. Um if you're going to be there at all, you want to be a cabinet minister. And I think that there's an understanding both within the party and within the public that um, sometimes you are just there because you're supposed to be there as a loyal party member. So I don't think you take the hit the way that I think like the secretaries mm. in, in Donald Trump's cabinet are going to take it because it's different, right? It's a different role and it, it manifests in different ways. It's not like our Westminster system. I actually think it'll be fairly easy to say, yeah, I was a minister under the Danielle Smith government, but what would you have me do? Not, not be minister. Like I was there for the party and I, that's why I'm running for leader. This is in a hypothetical 2023 UCP leadership race. I do think in Taves's case, if I was running uh, again, I wouldn't have taken the finance position. I would have said mm. something along the lines of, well, listen, Danielle, I really appreciate that. I think, you know, finance is a big burden. I'm happy to serve in other ways right now. But I'm I'm looking to go back to my farm, my ranch, right? And that's because I would rather not be part of the election to come, but I wouldn't mind being part of the government to come. And if Danielle Smith decides to keep you out because you're not running again, that's one thing. But that's that's the one nuance I would put in Taves' situation. Carter, script some lines for me for like let's say Rajan Sony, right? You use use her as yeah. an example. She's going to her next sort of meeting, her campaign debrief. Right. And there's people on her campaign, senior people. And they're like, what the actual fuck are you doing? Right. Like, this is not the type of person we wanted to lead. Uh, you said you were against this. Script me some lines for her. What is she saying to, to a community meeting? What is she saying to her supporters? Not to say that there was 
you know, there's a, there's a big chunk. I'm just using her as an example. Like she's, she sold some membership. She had some support. She had a bit of a constituency. She has her own constituency um, that she's, she's, you know, presumably going to be running in. Script me some lines. What, what would one say to justify a decision like this? And the reason I'm getting so deep on this is, is I'm curious how these conversations go to do something that on the surface doesn't seem like um, it's congruent with what you did the week before, the month before. Well, I would say two things. I would, first of all, quote the great Corey Hogan and say, uh, any Don't day say in great. government is... Don't say great, please. Okay. The spectacular Corey Hogan, the, the wise, wise man that he is, that any day in government is, is better than a day in, op- in the backbench or in opposition. And by being at the table, by being at the table, my ideas that I brought forward, our ideas that we brought forward in the leadership are going to be heard by this, by this premier. Uh, I'm going to make sure of it. And then I would say, um, this is, for me, not a wallflower position. This is, for me, a position of activity, of action. I am going to tell Danielle Smith when I think her ideas are right. I'm going to tell Danielle Smith when I think her ideas are wrong, as a cabinet member should, and a member of her government. And I hope that she responds well to that. Um, That's what I did in the leadership campaign, and that's what I'm going to do uh, moving forward. Not bad. Corey, what's the most piercing attack against these individuals that have accepted cabinet posts? Is there one in your mind uh, after attacking Danielle Smith so aggressively um, in the leadership? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, there's just hypocrisy, but that only gets you so far, especially mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. 2022, right? Um, yeah, you you would say, you said this, now we're in a situation where you seem to be willing to live with it. And I think where these people are particularly at risk is something like the Sovereignty Act, right? Yeah. You made some pretty direct comments about the risks of the Sovereignty Act, and now you're voting for it? Like, you're a cabinet minister, Zane, you're voting for it. Like, if you don't mm-hmm, vote for a mm-hmm. government bill, you're out of the cabinet, Right. So, and everybody understands that's a requirement. The best way to deal with it is very much along the lines of what Stephen was saying. I wouldn't go so far as he has on some of the kind of the innuendo about the leader. That's not going to serve you well if it gets back to the leader. I I would put it more along the lines of the basic archetype is I had a concern. She addressed uh-huh. that concern and I want to be a productive member of this party. So now it's like, now it's all oars in. And frankly, it doesn't even matter in the world of rhetoric, whether the concern that she addressed was actually the one you raised, it just mm. becomes like close enough stuff. So, you know, in Sonny's case, imagine she's like, listen, I was, I was concerned deeply about the sovereignty act. What might happen if it affected Alberta's economy here, but I've talked to Danielle and she's given assurances that it will, it will uh, reflect the rule of law and be tested in the courts and, and that we're going to abide by whatever happens there. Right. Okay. Well, that actually doesn't address any of the economic peril you brought up, the chaos, but you have talked about a concern that you had and that she addressed it. And that's going to be enough for 99% of audiences. And only 1% are actually going to grind you on the specific details. And fuck them, because the other 99% are going to be like, oh, she already answered the question. So yeah. it's easy. It's easy enough. Carter, do you want to finish off on this point? I mean, there's so many things we could talk about. In typical Danielle Smith fashion, she's thrown like 90 things in this cabinet announcement, the size, the volume, the parliamentary secretaries. We won't get to all of it. I'll try to address a few more in the lightning round. But Carter, on this, on the strategy question of these MLAs, I find this very interesting. Of these cabinet ministers, once again, what would you um, what would you script as the most piercing line of attack against one of them? 
against one of them, mm-hmm. it's always easy to fall into line. It's always easy to fall back into $60,000 extra a year and a, and a, and a fleet <laughs> credit card. And you fall back into line so quickly because you're whipped dogs that care only about the party and don't care at all about Albertans. And we've seen that, especially now that, I mean, they all still stood there smiling one day after take back Alberta, not only took, you know, took over the leadership, and now they've taken over the party executive. This isn't the party that uh, Jason Kenney constructed. This isn't a party that reflects progressive conservative as well as United as Wild Rose perspectives. It doesn't look like the Wild Rose. It doesn't look like the progressive conservatives. It looks like uh, an independence party that has been taken over uh, by extremists and uh, choosing to sit there, choosing to fall in the line. Um, it's what the weak always do. Too bad, Carter. It's like, it's, it's like you you could do anything as long as you had in, you were incented to do it for one side or the other, Carter. <laughs> Nicely done. We're going to leave that segment there. Moving on to our next segment. Our Hang next on, segment. Did I just get totally slagged? Like, you did. I think you, I just you, got... you, you did slag. Yeah, you, like, you, you, were, you I, ask us to do these things. Stephen and Carter, like, capitalist. Hey! Yeah, you yeah. perform. You just, dance, Carter. Just dance. Dance. That's, that's, dance the, old, boy. that's the only thing you do. Um, yeah. yeah, you'll do you'll do anything for 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 money is what I understand. And and in this, this case, this isn't even for money. Like we're getting like like two hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. I mean, which that's, is better than we were getting. Yeah, that, that, okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you, Carter. Um, let's move on to our next segment. Our next segment, nothing conventional, guys. I want to talk about conventions. We had dueling conventions. So we're sticking with Alberta for today. Uh, we had dueling conventions. Corey, the NDP, yeah. the Alberta NDP. The UCP, they had an AGM, so slightly different, more sort of businessy. Um, one in Calgary, the NDP, one in Edmonton, uh, the UCP. Uh, before we get into the specifics, as I mentioned to you guys, I, I was at the Alberta uh, NDP one. Uh, of course, yeah, as thanks you guys for the know, invite, I'm, Zane. I, I'm helping on that campaign. Um, but Carter, actually, let me start with Corey on this. Corey, talk to me about conventions. Their overall sort of value leading into an election. You and I have been to a few of them together. Uh, mm-hmm. Including uh, including ones for 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 the liberals um, uh, in in um, I don't know it's been a while I don't even remember where it was I think it was Montreal uh, the one Montreal that is correct um, but Corey talk to me about the value of these conventions especially in an election year um, how do they change are they overrated are they underrated we'll get to that but like talk to me about their political value and, and what uh, the party is trying to do by putting so much time and energy and resources into staging and scaffolding and presenting and molding uh, this weekend to, to, to a room of folks and, and the media. Yeah. Um, well, there are going to be different views on this. For, for my money, the best reason to do a convention like the NDP did, which you're right, was almost like a campaign launch style convention. And I'm sure you could give much more detail as to the content than I could because I was in uh, Muskoka enjoying 20 degree weather at a lake and not at any convention. Um, but the, uh, it, the it's a in communications, we'll often talk about tent pole communications mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with this phrase, right? It's this idea of it's like it's the thing that holds everything else up. And conventions are a very good tent pole communication because they allow you to have a signature speech, which defines all of your issues. They allows you to bring out new branding, which the Alberta NDP did. They've got a mm-hmm. new logo which mm-hmm. saying I think you had something to do with as, as a bit of mm-hmm. disclosure here. Looks nice. I have notes on kerning between the A and the L in Alberta. Oh, my God. But you know what? We're, it's okay. It's all right. It was pretty good for uh, for what I'd call strong amateur talent that you bring to the game. <laughs> um, I'm not going to engage with any of it. You know that. So just keep, keep doing your thing. Keep doing your thing. 
and and it's a time to arm all of your um all of your team with the best campaign tactics and the best messages that they'll then bring forward it it's this event that it, the organization puts the energy into to say these are the things we want to say these are the people we want to present uh the albert ndp had todd hirsch who's an economist who mm-hmm. was an economist with atv until quite recently their chief economist uh here's the here's the look we're going to bring and here's the feel we're going to provide and you get to do that all in one event. And there's not actually that many events in politics where you get to do all of that and in a format that that then communicates it out so plainly and so evidently to the people you then need to carry that message even further and that brand even further. So this is the tentpole value of a convention like that. And political parties do tend to see election year conventions as the moments to do that. You'll often also see policy releases. I'm not there were a few things I saw from the NDP, but not like a platform well, it wasn't released. Uh, unless I missed it. And if I did, wow, shame on all of you guys, because uh, Zane, that would be embarrassing. Nothing. There was no, no platform race. Carter, talk to me about, um, uh, don't talk to me about the excellent logo, which is uh, be, being re- received very like well Kearney. by everybody. You, like, look um, at but, the A and, but, the L, but, uh, and then look at the L and the B. It's deliberate. Okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, Carter. Carter. That's deliberate? Carter. Trying to show um, that you're not promoting. too professional. Is that what's going on? You, you want to seem a little folksy yeah. still? Carter, speaking of someone who's not too professional, um, you don't get bogged down in details. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, sorry, I had to I had to pivot away from myself. So I put it on you, Carter, just so if, in no, case. They, in case they're promoting this... aluminum. That's what the, they're promoting. It's uh, it's going to be a big industry here in Alberta. Is the next no one knows what you're talking about. No one knows what you're talking about. Carter. Everybody loves it. Memorable. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Um, no, people loved it. Oh, you know what? It's like the FedEx arrow. You you can see it and then you can't unsee it. This is, yeah. This is your, you want people to be yeah. talking about the logo. I get it now. Yeah. Rather okay. than the policies. Um, 5D chess, Carter. It's fucking 5D yeah, chess. No. You Listen, guys are stuck on. All you, over it. You guys are stuck on all Uno. All um, Carter, talk to me about conventions. Talk to me about their political value. Did you ever, when you were leading a uh, you know a chief of staff to a premier when you were deeply involved in political but did you put significant weight in it or were you hey, kind of like zane the kerning on steven's logos was always excellent top notch yeah we we did excellent launches um here's the thing conventions gonna, matter more than people PC logo. go ahead carter go ahead <laughs> conventions matter a ton especially if you're able to draw people from all 87 riding are you just fucking yeah. with me are you actually or are you actually, are you actually serious right now because no, i do I'm not expect absolutely that. serious i do not expect this is that answer why, from you. this is why i'm such a big proponent of the delegated leadership convention right when you are able to fill a room with people who are who care enough to drop 500 bucks out of their own pocket plus travel time plus the time that they're out of the office plus you know like leaving their families uh to come down to calgary or to go up to edmonton um, to, to, or I'm just shocked that we had two conventions and neither of them, uh, were in the, uh, uh, neither of them were in the, uh, uh, the great city of, of Red Deer, um, where almost every political convention is held, um, you know, since the dawn of time, I love them. I think they're great because you get the people who care and then you give them the messaging, you give them the marching orders. They care more than anybody else. And that's what, uh, you want a political party to be. There has to be an in-group mm. and you want to create the in-group uh, within your political party of of a thousand people that will then carry your messaging forward, um, you know, to two thousands more. And so, Carter, it, it's effectively a, a tool to kind of fill the gas tank, so to speak, right? Yeah, for, for supporters, um, give them, especially the most engaged, you'd probably call them the hyper-engaged as you have in the past, 
right? Hyper, as, hyper engaged. Yeah. As they show up, you you kind of leave them on the weekend with their gas tank full. Um, talk to me, but let's, let's get specific. Let's start with the UCP one. This one was in Edmonton. They had, um, you know, uh, a significant number of people, new leader. The key focus was, of course, Danielle Smith's speech. How did she do, Carter? Um, did you think she she trampled on on her speech? Do you feel like she kind of, um, with, with some of the key messaging uh, regarding AHS and all these other things that she'd mentioned, what do you kind of make of, of what her convention in AGM looked like? You know, for me, her convention in AGM was all about the response, not about the, the messaging. What do you mean right? by that? The, so it could have been tepid. It could have been divided. It could have been... Uh, it could have been a lot of different things, but it wasn't because Travis Taves and uh, who went up with Travis Taves? Brian, Brian Jean. Brian Jean. Brian Jean. Yeah. You know, Brian Jean wasn't that long ago. Brian Jean was, it was actively known that Brian Jean had said that he would never sit in a cabinet with her, right? Yes. Never sit in yes. a caucus with her, right? And now there he is introducing her as the leader. Oh, and if we didn't um, mention, Travis, he's also one of the ministers. He's got a ministerial portfolio. Yeah, I mean, yeah, back to you, Carter. Yeah. I mean, this, this is the great coming together. The, the, the kumbaya moment where everybody's singing along to the song sheet um, when just a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, this seemed inconceivable. Um, the, the applause, the, the spontaneous applause, the this is our leader. You know, everybody's getting behind her. You've got to get behind her, too. Uh, we're not we're not going to destroy this party over a terrible choice for leader. Seems to be the the. You know, forget about the terrible choice. I'm just adding that, right? We're not throwing away this great party. We can't give the province back to the NDP. And the UCP is rallying behind Danielle Smith in a way that I thought would have been near to impossible. Um, even three days before, because three days before, keep in mind, she was in the midst of the apology tour, the great apology tour. And then on Friday, she names the cabinet. We're all taken aback. You know, how can everybody be in cabinet? Everybody in that caucus has got a title, like Corey said. Every single person's got a title. And so by the time they're all walking around, all the MLAs are happy. All the constituents associations or constituency associations are happy because their MLAs are happy. And they're all walking around forgetting that just a few days ago, you know, Danielle Smith sat down with Rick Bell casting uh, 15 Calgary MLAs to oblivion because they, we didn't need them to win. That was forgotten, and everybody was doing the kumbaya. It's unbelievable. Very, very impressive. Corey, there's, a, there's an other, another element to the AGM for the UCP that I think is quite interesting. Because we talked about the cabinet ministers, the principal opponents of Danielle Smith accepting cabinet posts in her government, the 27 plus 11. We talked about yeah. that. There is also this other element, which we've touched on in previous episodes, but I think is worthy on hitting right now which is the election of uh, the board and board yeah. positions. And uh, this group, Take Back Alberta, a grass group group, uh, you know, which coalesced against COVID rules, they were even paying the fees, according to Jason Markusoff and CBC, for a significant portion of the members uh, that, that showed up to this AGM to ensure that they got the result they needed. And did they ever? They got that nine out of nine majority of, of those board in, insurgents, so to speak, from from the more ideologically consistent perspective that Danielle Smith comes from. Talk to me from your perspective, having run a political party, the, the, the work and the value of something that is way down at the bottom of what we may have seen this weekend, which is the election of these values aligned board directors for Danielle Smith. So boards in political parties matter. They matter a lot more when you're in opposition. 
and we should start as a bit oh. of a foundation there. The other thing I would say is nine board members were up for election, nine were elected, but the board, I believe, is 18. So it was only half the board members. That is correct. Elected. Sorry, I, sh I should have, I failed to mention that. That's correct, Corey. Yeah. But that, that nonetheless dramatically changes the composition, especially given there are certain ex officio members like the leader, you know, who are going to be yeah. involved in, in those board conversations. And so clearly now there's like a take back Alberta majority, I guess is the mm -hmm. best way to put it. And that's going to have ramifications. That said, the um, the the party president, the uh, you know the party vice presidents, and all of the various functionaries that that collect all of these various titles, their authority is somewhat diminished during an election. It's kind of wartime. It's where like you appoint a general, and that general reports directly to the leader, and it's go. And there's not an awful lot I think that is going to be materially different because Take Back Alberta now has nine board members in this particular election cycle where it's going to matter immensely mm. is after this election, particularly if Danielle Smith loses, because this will also be the board that determines the leadership rules for the next contest yeah. in that particular moment. Um, but that's not to say it doesn't provide value. It also provides her a bit of a backstop against say constituency associations who might rebel, try to do the same thing they did to Jason Kenney. Well, then, uh, you know, Danielle Smith's board can do the same thing that Jason Kenney's board did to those constituency associations and push off these reviews and try to get themselves as favorable a situation as possible by the cities they choose and the rules that they determine. So it, it matters. But boards of political parties, especially in times of government, are a lot like bylaws of organizations. They people don't think about them until they matter a lot. And then they dust them off and they look at them. But I, I guess what I really want to underline, I wouldn't overstate the importance of that particular conquest, particularly given it happened right after a leadership contest. Well, good point, Corey. It also says something, Carter, about the fact that Danielle Smith, in a very short amount of time, when you look at it, despite the mistakes, right, and despite the headline-grabbing, attention-grabbing, daily gaslighting, she's done a few things. She's now got you know a board that's got more of her, the take-back sort of folks, values aligned with her, or ideologically aligned, to be to be more specific she's appointed a cabinet um and she's you know well on her way one would imagine to getting herself a seat um but i do want to stick on this this board level conversation with you carter like your opinion on on the significance of this board and what it means for danielle smith well i'll tell you we didn't have the board when allison redford was elected mm -hmm. uh, we didn't get the board we didn't put any effort into having the the board we expected them to come along with us did it cost you, know you? what they didn't uh, in 2012, mm. I remember the boards, uh, and we didn't have, not only did we not have those boards, we didn't have the riding association boards. And uh, the riding association boards are super important. Um, you know, you you would, you know, there was one riding association board, and I can't remember which one it was, so I won't name the one I think it was. But, you know, they were sitting on $40,000 um, in 2012, and they were going to save it because we, they knew we were going to be routed, uh, and we weren't going to win any seats. So, they were just going to save it for next time. And those are the types of decisions that are near to impossible to get around. Like if the board controls spending, and I haven't read the UCP bylaws to determine whether or not the board controls spending in an election, but if the board controls spending, then the board really can kneecap the, the, the leader. And that's, that, that's really tough to recover from. So the, this, by making sure that she and the, those who are aligned with her have control of the UCP board, and then hopefully that would trickle down, if you're Danielle Smith, to the constituency associations. 
you would have super strong uh, mm. relationships up and down, and you would be able to basically do whatever the hell you wanted. Carter, you know, let's talk about the NDP for a bit. So, you know, the, the headline out of that convention, when, 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 I mean, debatable, but I would say uh, it was Rachel's speech, the leader's speech. Uh, and then this concept of, you know, as Corey mentioned, Todd Hirsch, economy kind of being a big theme. Uh, what do you kind of make of that positioning? The economy theme, um, you know, is centered around eat Calgary, centered around this this outreach to uh, what the CBC article kind of called the light blue voters, the the folks that were part of your camp, Carter, back in the Redford days, one, one might say. Well, the, the people who are back in, <laughs> are there anybody, is there anybody left in my camp? No, I mean, you know, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I just think that this camp, like Danielle's put everybody in, into her camp. Like it was brilliantly done. And the creation of one camp, um, you know, I don't think I see any remnants of Ralph's team. I don't see any remnants of Stelmac's team. I don't see any remnants of Redford's team. Uh, arguably, I'm not even sure that I see any remnants of Jason Kenny's team. Um, so what do you do with that? Right. How do you, how do you manage? Like she took over. She won, right? And the thing that kills me is that this was such a minor, like compared, let's compare and contrast to the minor victories that were held by um, the last uh, uh, CPC victors, right? Mm -hmm. When, you know, before Pierre Polyev, you know, Andrew Shear wins by a little bit, but he doesn't really establish himself as the leader the way that Danielle has established herself. And and then right after comes, um, I was bad at names today. Uh, O'Toole. O'Toole. O'Toole, Aaron O'Toole. And he he doesn't put the controls. But Danielle Smith, in the space of basically three weeks, wins the leadership, gets sworn in, names her cabinet, uh, which includes everybody. And now everybody's on her team at the at the MLA level. And then she flips over to um, you know, the 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 UCP leadership, and she has that too. Like there's nothing left of any opposition. Yeah, so, so is that how you're assessing it, Corey? Jump in on this. Uh, I mean, okay, well, you asked a different question, but I think Stephen, I did. But I'm Stephen's now. Pr- what have I ever answered the question? Stephen has put something on the table that I think is worth talking about. Yeah, let, jump into it, please. The thing about that contrast is you've got to keep in mind, and I'm I'm sure you you are all keeping this in your heads, and some of you are probably even yelling this. The difference is Daniel Smith is the premier, so she was able to do this in a quite a sequential, logical way using the powers of being the premier. She got. A ca- she gave cabinet positions out. That means an awful lot more than shadow minister. She positions. can hand out yeah. goodies like that for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. So she gets them, which allows her to get the room in the AGM, which allows her to get the board. There's just so many more levers to pull when you are in power, and it gives you so much more range of motion. Not to kind of take away from the fact that she did a very good job of taking this stepwise even – on Friday, I'm going to announce these cabinet ministers. I can't even necessarily get them sworn in. But once my cabinet is known, then they can all say nice things about me at the AGM. People can mm. walk around at the AGM feeling good. And then here we are, um, you know, the next week and all of these pieces have started to get into place. Because Stephen is right. The fact that she won with such a relatively small percent of the vote and she is getting this kind of like immediate control over the party is is notable. Now, she mm. did it because she's in government. I think that's the and, major and difference. Because she can, right? Right. I don't, well, but you know I that that alone in... is not enough. Like she had to also navigate it well, which she did. Carter, jump in on you because it's almost like you're you're trying to compare the experience to Redford in some ways, and you're saying that you you didn't have many of these pieces early on. 
No, I mean, it's very easy to say it's because of government. I mean, and certainly government does have the perks, but um, it's about the party, right? Like, we didn't think at all about taking over the party because we barely snuck into office. And even though she barely snuck into office in much mm-hmm. the same fashion, right? Ours was the second ballot. Hers was the sixth ballot. But we snuck in by the skin of our teeth, both both of us, right? The Redford and, and Smith. But Redford didn't have time um, to put, you know, to think about or time or resources to think about what would happen at the AGM the next week or whatever it was. We didn't have our AGM the next week. It wasn't time like that. But um, we certainly didn't spend a moment's thought about who should be the party president. Bill Smith was the party president. We were going to keep Bill Smith. That was just the way it was going to go. We weren't going to, you know, Kelly Charlebois um, was no friend of Allison Redford's by the end. But mm. what we're going to do? Throw out Kelly Charlebois? We didn't have that. We didn't have that kind of stroke. Like Danielle Smith um, barely won the leadership, and, and, but now she's firmly in control of everything. And I may not like it, but I am impressed. I'm getting whiplash. I'm sure you guys are yourselves. <laughs> what the fuck is happening between last episode and this one? Um, knowing that this Carter's going so hard in the pain, Corey, um, Daniel Smith, what? Are we giving her three weeks? Now that Carter now that Carter has blessed her with his uh, with his magic touch, what are we yeah. what are we giving her? Yeah, uh, Corey, so I, I do want to say. Let's talk about the NDP one. Though, yeah, right? round out that. But the, the economy focus, the leader speech based in Calgary, your thoughts on that? I, I thought that it's the things you need to do, right? Mm. Um, I could quibble about some of the timing and, and some of the thinking. I like one of the things about, okay, this is just getting into deep critic mode and it's, it's unnecessarily critical, frankly, because I think by and large, they put together a pretty compelling package for the weekend. But, you know, Todd Hirsch being announced as a speaker, for those not in Alberta, that's kind of a big deal. Like Todd Hirsch was a, um, was the chief economist for Alberta Treasury Branch, which is, you know, the largest financial institution based in Alberta, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and the idea that he would then be helping the NDP with their economic platform means something. He's so recently retired and he's very well regarded by, uh, you know, the business community. And for him to come in and, and provide those kinds of bona fides was, was really, really cool and really important. And I'm sure it was a thrill for the convention goers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for some of them, I'll bet you some of them thought it was like, who is this kind of, you know, neoliberal guy who's now talking to us, you know, these died in the wool New Democrats. But actually, maybe that underlines my point. Mm. The audience for the Todd Hirsch announcement was the public. The audience he got was the convention. And I think yeah. that I wouldn't have released news as big as Todd Hirsch on a, on such a busy Friday where cabinet is coming out. So that's the big public news. There's another AGM going on. I would have saved that for this week or for a moment where you could make that the story of the day, right? Um, and so I think that on some of those smaller tactical points, I, I I think guys just got too big for their stomach and they thought we're going to do all of these amazing things at the convention. That was a component I would have moved into a standalone communications piece because I think it is a pretty big deal to your point about the economic uh, drivers here. In terms of the rest of it and the package they put together, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a package that is focused on the things that matter to Albertans. It was in Calgary. There was this updated brand that was okay. I mean, the kerning between the A and the L was a little bad. But besides that, it was pretty <laughs> nice looking. And, you know, it, it looked certainly more modern and gave some distance from the federal NDP. And um, I, I, no complaints. Really well done. Uh, I'm at these things. There's always a thousand small fuck ups behind the scenes. I don't know if that was the case with this one. I'm just guessing based on a career in politics. 
and government, but yeah, no complaints. I thought it was really well done. Um, on on large, uh, I just think that they've got to think about it in terms of audience and communications, landing with the people who need to hear those things at the right time, and that's where I would maybe um, maybe offer some suggestions. Carter, talk to me about. Um, let's round this out on on conventions. Talk to me about the the NDP Calgary economy focused leader speech. Well, I mean, the, I think that the leader speech was good. I think that uh, I think that Rachel Notley continues to be a very strong public representative of the party. Um, you know, I think that uh, the staging choices were fascinating. You know, kind of the um, the thrust stage that put her out into the middle of the into the middle of the hall. You know, I, I, love, I love that thrust stage. You like know, the I love thrust style. stage. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's almost it's as good thrust. as a general wash. Uh, it's called a thrust. <laughs> It's you fucking Neanderthals. Have you did you not study theater? It's called a thrust. It thrusts. No, we, we didn't. Into the we state. didn't pay twenty thousand dollars to the University of Calgary to study theater, and then when do I whatever, went to school, do, it was four hundred and fifty dollars a course. Like it was nothing. Like it, it was nothing. Well, how many courses did you need to take? Out of curiosity, how many courses on? Yeah, I took eight. I think. Okay, you took eight to graduate. You took eight no, courses I, to graduate. You didn't graduate, Toronto. did you? Oh my god, you did not graduate. I gra- <laughs> I got a big. Okay, shut up. There was a thrust stage, and I think that she did very well on that stage. She owned that stage. I do think that, it, you know, I think that sometimes the uh, NDP um, is far more interested in being the best NDP it can be and not necessarily the best competing for government party that it can be. I don't ever sense from the NDP this, this, this bloodlust for victory. Uh, that I think we can feel at the uh, at the UCP conventions, and we certainly felt that bloodlust for victory when we were with the PCs, um, and arguably I think that we had it with the Nenshi campaigns and the and the Gondek campaign. That you have to feel like you will lie down in front of a tank to win, um, and I think that sometimes the NDP uh, comes across, and then this may you know some may feel this is an unfair criticism, but they come across like they are far more interested in being nice to one another than they are. To being uh, to, to picking an enemy and going for it, and and I think that that's still that that smell for blood is what I'm looking for uh, from the from the NDP as they as they move into the big leagues. Corey, do you want you want to respond to that before we round it out here? Yeah, I mean, if it was four hundred and fifty dollars a class, and you took ten classes <laughs> and you did it for four years, that's no, pretty I, close to twenty thousand dollars. No, how many cor- all, how many courses on eight... thrust stage? How many courses on no, thrust stage? Is first was of that all, a full course? I went to sc- and and at what point yeah. was it was it not called a catwalk? Okay. I, t- I studied commerce, and then my I would have studied done a commerce, second- and you couldn't do that math. <laughs> We're gonna leave it there. Moving on to our lightning, Carter. You 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 got you, you got fucked. I'm there. not even talking to you two anymore. Just our over under and our lightning round, yeah, Stephen Carter. The- are you ready? Are you in or out, Stephen Carter? On Daniel, I don't Smith's believe. Cabinet. I don't believe you do this for me anymore. I'll tell you that. I think that that <laughs> I, has I do been. Do this for you. I do. Do I think that you. has been a bullshit thing for a number of months, and I wanted to bring it up in today's the day. Let me you tell pissed you, me off. Bullshit thing for a number of months. Flair Airlines, Carter, Cabinet. Are you in <laughs> or are you out on Daniel Smith's Cabinet? You, you talked about be... the process, but but you have to now give me an in or out, a binary, like crystallize yeah, it no. for me. I am going to take the Schrodinger's answer. I am both in and out simultaneously because I am in if I am Danielle Smith because she did a great job of getting the the lemmings uh, to jump off the cliff with her. Um, Good for her. As an Albertan, I am out 
because I expect more from my elected representatives than to be lemmings jumping off of a cliff. This is not the way I want to see my government conducted. Um, but here we are. This is the only this this is the weakness um, that is prevalent in the in the UCP. Corey, are you in or out on the Daniel Smith cabinet? I am also going to give an answer built around the idea of Schrodinger's box here. But for me, we just don't know. We haven't opened it yet. So I can't answer that because we still need to see how some of these things are going to unfold. Now, early indications. I think I hear some meowing in that box. I think it might work out. I think this might be a pretty good strategy by Danielle Smith. It sounds like someone who got a $450 theater degree. Go ahead, Corey. Keep going. (laughs) Okay. First of all. You know what? I don't give a fuck. I'm moving on. Excellent degree. Yeah, I'm sure it's an excellent decree. Uh, you just need to pair it with a university of Calgary. He was, baby. Just a, he was just a terrible student. Don't hold it against the university. University of Calgary, baby. Uh, Corey Hogan, overrated, underrated, missing ministries uh, in Daniel Smith's cabinet. We labor's one of them. Uh, we, um, you know, the, the um, what was the other one uh, that that she was missing? Um, status of kind women. Of got, status of women. Yes, thank you. Uh, overrated or underrated that that she's that she's got ministries that she's outright axed in your mind. Um, I think overrated because ultimately those things still exist. They just get put into different parts. And yes, you can say, okay, well, that's concerning. There's no longer prominence given to a group called labor. And what does this mean for labor relations? But, um, the actual functions that the government was undertaking, they still exist somewhere in the government. It's not as though these things disappear. It's, it's a deputy minister is going to have different associate deputy ministers reporting to them or assistant deputy ministers. Um, and and that'll be that, except for the case of status of women. I think it disappearing actually probably means it actually disappeared. And that's a bit concerning. But mm. I, I need to understand more about the organization and whether they were moved into different parts of, um, uh, you know, culture or whatever we're calling culture this week, because God knows it's had a lot of names. And I think Stephen and I's tenure. Um, and that one really was about signaling the government's interest in making sure that status of women is represented at all of the tables, you know, whether it be deputy minister's council, whether it be cabinet, whether it be uh, any of the intergovernmental, you know, situations and activities that go on in the government day to day basis. And for it to be, um, you know, demoted from cabinet existence period is, is not a great sign if you're looking for your equity, but um, so much of this is is the paint you put on it, not the car itself. And we'll have to see how those cars still drive. Carter, quite, same question for you: overrated, underrating the 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 missing ministries, labor, status of women. I think there's a few others changed, mocked around, mapped. But the missing ministries, overrated, underrated for the Daniel Smith cabinet. I mean, it's quite something, isn't it? I mean, you've got the largest cabinet, really, in 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 recent history. Um, and you leave these two things out. I mean, it just very clearly signals what's important to you and what's not. Danielle Smith is basically taking the same line as Alison Redford. Um, both of them said, you know, we are the women in our cabinet and that um, we don't need to worry about balance because we're the premier. Uh, so we, we what don't do you, have to What do you think about- of that line, by the way? And what do you, uh, while you're on it, what do you think of that justification that Danielle Smith offered that, you know, if you're looking for gender balance, you're not going to find it because we've got me and four strong women. Yeah, I, 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 we, I didn't like it when we did it. I don't like it now. Um, it's not about strength of the, the women. It's, it's about, uh, representation. And it also just this massive implication that 
the four strong women that you have, I mean, you only have four strong women. Um, I'll, do, I'll guarantee you this. All the men that are in that cabinet aren't strong. Uh, we we could spend some time picking them apart if we wanted to, but uh, I'm quite sure that the listeners from Alberta um, have their own scorecards as to which min- male ministers are strong or not. I mean, Jesus Christ, her deputy premiers uh, together may be sharing a brain. So who the hell can even know? Uh, too too why, honest. Why? You, why? Too why honest. My bad. Why, why would you? Why would you do that, Carter? Don't do that. Which part? Um, uh, be honest, be right. I can't Carter, remember. Carter, sticking with you on this, um, let's move to municipal politics very quickly. We're learning okay. tonight that Ottawa has elected a new mayor in Mark Sutcliffe, who has defeated uh, Catherine McKenney, uh, the the uh, two-term councillor. Uh, Sutcliffe had 51% of the vote, uh, McKenney with 38%. The reason I mention this, Carter, is because the liberals, the federal liberals, um, and, and in some cases the Ontario liberals, the liberal camp the overall liberal brand was split on who they were endorsing for mayor many uh including the Catherine McKenna's and the Mark Carney's and the other uh, notable sort of liberal types were going with McKenney um a smaller uh number uh, I think one Yasser Nakvi went with um uh, Sutcliffe I'm kind of want to talk to you about this as as a as an overrated underrated question uh, as related to what this means for the liberals, like as, as the majority of them leaned in on a candidate um, that didn't ultimately win in the heart of Canadian politics in Ottawa. You might tell me this is the most overrated thing of all time. You might tell me that there's there's something quite underrated about this, that the liberals might be losing their their touch or their level of connection, so to speak, uh, with a candidate that, that lost by double digit points. Overrated, underrated, I- Stephen Carter. Corey and I have railed about this for a long time. I mean, cabinet ministers come in or, or members of parliament or MLAs and they, they make an endorsement into a race, but they're not really bringing any strength to it. And it doesn't really matter if it's, um, you know, if it's in the municipal standpoint or if it's at the leadership race. These, these people, we're, we're not doing a good enough job building our constituency associations to actually mobilize act- actions. And so whether it was Mark Carney offering his individual endorsement or Catherine McKenna offering her individual endorsement of, of Catherine McKenney, um, that it didn't work because it doesn't have the ground game behind it. It doesn't, when it used to work, it was about ground game coming to the table. We ha- we bring you lists, we bring you data, we bring you mm. door knockers, we bring you identified vote, we bring you, uh, you know, votes. And now it's, uh, it's intellectual and it's bullshit it doesn't have any force to it we and, bring you and our name th- so to speak and that's this is much- this is the thing that i want you know my fist is raised and my teeth are ground together because this is what i want to see from the fucking ndp too this is about fucking elections and it's about fucking winning <laughs> Corey, do you want to take a breath on carter's behalf yeah how about you do that take a breath yeah. on his behalf um, and then answer the question here for me overrated underrated what this means for the federal liberals uh oh over i don't think it means that much but it, it means something for politics i actually agree with almost everything carter said uh in terms of the mechanics at least maybe not his views of some of the personalities involved but uh carney and mckenna neither actually are you know party Power brokers. They're both retired. I mean, Carney was never there, right? And McKenna Carney was never is, there. So, yeah, the list McKenna is Carney, is a Carney Butts, and McKenna. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jerry Butts is 
not there anymore. Like these are people who are not actually even there. And so Uh how can you possibly read too much into what it means to the liberal party? The only person on that list you've mentioned who is actually in the liberal party picked the winner. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think we're okay. I think we're okay to say that this has not fundamentally up, up, uh, you know, ended our view of the power of the liberal party in this country uh, based on that. Now, why doesn't it matter? Because it's just a name. And what does it mean? It's like one social media hit. How many votes could it possibly move? Stephen's right. These things used to matter when it came with the machinery to actually get votes. And that just doesn't happen anymore. Corey, I'm going to start a final question with you. Um, the British people, and more specifically, the conservatives in the UK have picked their new prime minister. They had a chance, but they didn't take it. Um, because poster sales weren't going so well in the UK, but they pick Rishi Sunak uh, instead Zane of me. Uh, yeah, yeah, Zane Belge. And I, I actually, to be clear, Zane Belge, who's on that poster, is not me. It's a character, uh, Zane Belge. People will get it eventually. Um, it's it's replaceable. I'm a very different person, very different people. Uh, they chose Rishi Sunak as their uh, next leader, as their next prime minister. Uh, Corey Hogan, you know, we'd recorded an episode uh, what seems like three weeks ago, where we're giving Liz Truss some really solid advice, and the next morning she was gone. Um, let's give Rishi Sunak some advice. Uh, what advice would you want to give Rishi Sunak on this uh, Monday, October 24th at 9.39 p.m.? Because who the heck knows what's going to happen in UK politics. What advice would you want to give him uh, this evening as he embarks on his prime ministership? Um, one foot in front of the other. Look at where your predecessors fell down. Uh, and it was a lack of caucus support in both cases. I mean, there were fundamental problems behind that, but they could have weathered a lot if they had caucus. So spend some time, get caucus on board. We're already seeing signs that Sunak is doing that. He was much nicer talking about Liz Truss than Liz Truss was when she talked about Rishi Sunak after the last leadership race concluded. But be aware that caucus is just Problem one. Problem two is the membership, which did not even get a say in this because caucus set rules that were so aggressive. There was only one person on the ballot. They, they had to have 100 MPs supporting them. Rishi Sunak was the only person who hit that threshold. Ergo, there was no choice for the membership. So you've got to think about how you can build some legitimacy with them. You got to think about how you can build some legitimacy with the uh, general public. Now, many, uh, UK conservatives have kind of gotten into this apologist mode saying accurately, like we don't have a presidential system. And therefore, you know, what they say is we elect governments, not prime ministers. And, you know, the prime minister can be changed out whenever because you've still got a conservative government. Well, that's not even actually true. You elect MPs, not governments Mm. and not prime ministers. And if the MPs want to own this, they can own this, but they can't have their cake and eat it too. And I think the public will tire with this idea that they're like, well, shucks, I got to support them because they're the leader, but also, you know, we're not a presidential system. So um, start thinking about how you can build some of that legitimacy and how you can modify maybe the way the UK conservatives talk and act that really sort of makes clear that this government is still a legitimate government. Pretty good advice by Corey Hogan. You know, Stephen Carter, I'm going to ask you the same question before I do that. Um, You know, Rishi Sunak uh, seems to be at least um, in touch with, if not BFFs, with one Jason Kenney. Um, Kenny kind of tweeting today saying that, listen, congratulations to my friend Rishi Sunak, who, by the way, in 2014, wrote this glowing sort of, I would say, almost profile about Jason Kenney and his ability to, uh, you know, 
uh, persuade my, communities. My, yep. exactly what they called minority voters and community connections, so to speak. Quite an interesting piece if you look at it. But Carter, that's an aside. The question is simple. If you're Rishi Sunak today and you're receiving a phone call from Stephen Carter, uh, the Canadian Dominic Cummings, what are you telling Rishi Sunak as he embarks on his prime ministership? Uh, move slow. The job is big and it will not be done quickly. Liz Truss has proven that. Um, so you're starting at an unbelievably low level. Um, uh, that's where we need to see a, you know, they need to grow one step at a time and uh, try to hit what, you know, the, the analogy that I often use is just base hits, not home runs. And um, that's what, that's what, that's what Sunak is going to need to do if he wants to be uh, prime minister past the next election. Carter, I have to say, I'm, I'm going to, I was, should end the episode there, but I'm not going to. Um, there was a lot of love for your commentary last episode when you you talked about in moments of crisis, they throw the job to a woman to be like, look, we gave it to you. Yeah. It's easy to kind of extend that and say now they've given it to a racialized man. Does that hold here? Or do you feel like this is yep. different considering his class, where his background, his education, his pedigree? Or do you, does this kind of extend on the Stephen Carter theory of in moments of crisis, this guy doesn't get a honeymoon. What fucking honeymoon? He, he enters it to your point at an extreme low. Um, does it extend to your theory here or is that a stretch? Am I putting words in your mouth? I'm curious to get your reflections on this before we close off. Listen, the British love hunting foxes, right? They love hunting foxes. They caught the first fox too quickly, killed it. And now they're throwing the next fox out. I mean, they're still hunting the fox. This guy's in a lot of trouble and uh, the dogs are right on his heels. And I think that that is what they've done. They've handed it off to um, racialized person after a woman, uh, not because in part because the white guy, they were they were literally at the end of anything vaguely resembling a talented white person. Like, like they, they, Boris Johnson almost came back, Zane. Like that is, that is, yes. you and know, talk like, you about know white privilege. Jesus Christ. The guy drove the government into the ground, basically kneecapped the, this, her success, his successor, and still was talked about like he had a chance. Um yeah, this party ran itself into the ground, and yeah, and you can't extend um, this theory of of handing off to women to racialized people as well. Corey, finish this off here. I've opened up the Pandora's box on on Sunak um, taking over uh, the racialized component after a woman, his BFF friendliness with Kenny, and just you know tie whichever bow you want, and then we'll we'll end this thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Rishi Sunak is so privileged, and from such an elite. Yes cast yes. here uh in the united kingdom with what 700 million pound fortune or something along those lines yeah it's worth it's a lot hurt. less after Riz trusters move in and in, in really making that pound yeah, that's go true down. But like, yes, that's it, true. It, it, it hurt him a lot that she was <laughs> yeah. prime minister for a while um it it's i'm not entirely sure and obviously he has aspired for this role for some time he was certainly you know, it, I I don't know. I'm just I'm not 100 percent buying into that. I can understand the argument. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying I'm not 100 percent sure that's the case here. I actually thought if I were him, I wouldn't have been rooting for Liz Truss to lose because now he is in a bit of a jam in that, like, seems like he's the only one who's going to, to have that role um, and before the next election and that that next election is likely to have the UK conservatives go down. Here's my prediction, though. I want to. I want to end with a prediction here. Yeah, okay. Wow. Oh, wow. You want to put a prediction is, out there? This is I'm good. Put un, a prediction unsolicited prediction. This, this is, is good. Do we have a? We don't even have a. Let me do it. It is now time for 
a Corey prediction. I can't do it. I can't do it. But go ahead, Corey. That's good. good. I like it. Wasn't, it wasn't bad. That was nice. It wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's nicely done. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jason Kenny will be, be yep. Pierre Polyev's high commissioner to the United Kingdom after the next wow. Canadian election. Oh, th- th- that's a what? two in one prediction. It's a two that's in a two one. In one. It's, it's a, a two three in one. A... It's a three in wow. one because what's the third? He will be sent because of his close friendship with Rishi Sunak, who will still be prime minister. Whoa! Oh no way! No Deep. way! If if that happens, you got to retire. You got to hang up the phallic yeah, microphone. Sure. You got to hang up all your microphones. He's gonna hang it up. Yeah. Speaking of hanging it up, that's it. We're gonna that's a wrap on episode ten ten of the Strategist. My name is Zane Belger. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.